Hi, I'm Bill Mitchell, host of When Dating Hurts. Two years ago, I launched my Dating Violence podcast. Back then, I knew very little about recording, editing, or uploading to a hosting platform. Frankly, I didn't know what a hosting platform meant. When recording episodes, I needed it to be easy for me and my guests. You see, I was capturing highly emotional personal stories, and I couldn't have guests fiddling around, clicking buttons, starting and stopping over and over again. I launched with Zencaster and I stayed with them. The reason is, it's just so darn easy. And today's Zencaster lets you record with high-quality audio and video. You can edit and distribute, too, all in one place. No more bouncing around from one platform to another to create your podcast. So, if you're interested, go to Zencaster.com pricing and use my code, when dating hurts all one word, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. Isn't it time to tell your story? I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. This is part two of the two-part interview with Lindsay Brisbane. Part one would have been more than enough heartbreak and suffering but part two takes this to the level of a real 24-7 nightmare. Here is the continuation of Lindsay's story. You know, I just wanted to jump in with, have you ever heard the expression flying monkeys? Mm-mm, I haven't. Six months ago, I was doing an interview, and what came through was that term. Mm. The person I was interviewing was like, do you, do you know what I'm talking about? And I said, no. Well, all you have to do is think of the Wizard of Oz. Oh, yeah. Okay. So what happens is the witch enlists all these flying monkeys to go do her bidding, to go do the, the hurtful things. The witch isn't doing it, but but she gets these other characters going, gets them all revved up and sends them out. Yeah. So that's that's what an abusive person does sometimes is these other people don't want to be abused by the abuser. So it's like if the abuser says, okay, I want all of you to go and do this thing. They're thinking, well, better than me. So I guess we'll go do it. And they go do it. So that's what he was doing. He was doing the flying monkeys trick. And he did that with frequency. And sometimes I would be the tar. Like you didn't know. You just didn't know. Yes. And also like he started to become really sexually abusive with me. Mm. Being that I didn't have a lot of experience. Again, nobody wants to date <laughs> you. You don't really have a good track record in your early 20s of knowing what's appropriate and not appropriate. Yes. And so, you know, he would do things to me and it would really hurt me. And I'd be like, I'm not enjoying this. This hurts. And he would just kind of like in the car, just smile. Like, so what? Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. You don't like it, but here it comes again. Here it comes again. Deal with it. This is what you get. This is what I do. And I don't know if he was sexually abused because there was a lot of no touching things. And I never knew, was he abused? Was it a control thing? But he had to dominate every aspect. Even if we mm -hmm. were doing something sexual, he had to be in control of every aspect of how and everything. And so, 
and again when you don't have a lot of experience you're just like i mean i guess like the guy like you know runs the show but like this is kind of uncomfortable and not fun for me right so like and even that so that was really uncomfortable and, and started to get more that way and I forget what happened in this particular situation, but I set him off and he picked me up in his bedroom at his house and he literally threw me through the wall. Like through like through the wall. Not all the way through, but my head and whole back went through you could see my body in his wall. But you kind of crunched the wall. Crunched the with hole your body. And you could see my head and my body. And then oh. yeah, like I we got into some petty argument and it wasn't even like we were screaming. He just turned and looked at me like enough and just we didn't even get to have an argument he just threw me like you might throw someone into a swimming pool except it was yes, a wall except it was a wall oh. and i remember after that he took this picture of me on this little polaroid mini camera and he would say stuff like this and he's like man you're so beautiful now he's like you are so beautiful now he goes i don't know what i'm going to do when you're like a famous model or actress and i'd be like what are you talking about? I'm never going to be a model or an actress. He goes, you don't understand. He's like, you have become so beautiful now. Now, mind you, like I said, he's been molding me all this time to look a certain way. Grooming you. Yes. Grooming me, dr- having me dress a certain way, my hair a certain way, the way I, everything about me now. And he's like, man, I just mm-hmm. don't know what I'm going to do when other people are looking at you. I just don't know. And that would freak me out. Like he said that to me after he threw me through the wall. I'll never forget that. He took a picture of me after that and I was crying on his bed. And I remember him kind of like half pinning me down and being like, it's okay. I didn't mean to do that. You know, I just got really upset. And I remembered thinking, just calm down. It's better than freaking look at his face. Like just calm down. And then he took that picture of me and then he like made me lay there with him and look at it as he kept talking about this look how beautiful you become. I don't know what I'm going to do when other people look at you. And I'm thinking, what is he talking about? Like, this is getting weird. So all of that continued. When you had these bad times, mm-hmm. you know, you had the one where he takes a swing at you and and then this crash into the wall. Mm-hmm. Typically when those things happen, they're followed up by, he's really nice. He's getting, buying you something, taking you somewhere. I mean, did did he kind of like go from the worst of it to switch it back to, wow, okay, well, he does have redeeming qualities and this is better and I hope it stays like this. I mean, did he did he go back to the top of the list, so to speak? Yeah, of, like of he... Good, like love bombing, as you mentioned earlier. He, he, so the, after the first night, that first time he hit me and almost dropped me off the porch, definite love mm-hmm. bombing throughout out the wazoo, like wildly so. For days after days, maybe? For a couple of weeks, like really oh, okay. on top of his game. Okay. I mean, that's kind of classic stuff. Yeah, and I know that now. By the time he's throwing me into his wall, no love bombing. It was your mine. I do with you what I wish. And there's no apologizing. Like, I'll apologize to, like, calm you down. Again, it turned into taking that picture and him spending, like, 30 minutes talking about, I don't know what I'm going to do when other people look at you. Um, And me thinking, this is crazy. And what, 30 minutes ago, he threw me through his wall. Now he's making me mm-hmm. stare at a photo of myself with him and him talking about how pretty I am. But in a weird way, not like, oh, you're, it was like, I don't want anyone else looking at you. Yes. Yeah, I could see that. And so it just kept getting worse and worse. And there now would be. Jump in if yeah. I can one more time. And that is those who are uninitiated, those listening to your story have to be interjecting the thought in their head, which is. 
why are you still in this relationship? Like, what do you need? Yes. And so I'll ask you, why are you still in this relationship at this point? Yeah. So here, here's the real reason. So anyone who's like, what is she thinking? My uh -huh. like, what do you need? You need more evidence to bail out of this plane? Yeah. So my sister lived in this, what we would consider back in then a bunch of semi middle-class poor kids from Ohio. She lived with her husband in this nice condo and it was like the coolest thing. And often my sister and brother-in-law, when they went out of town, I would get to watch the condo. And obviously all my friends would want to come stay at the condo. And Jay included would want to come stay at the fancy condo. And it would be like, we never had crazy parties so much there. Cause I'd be like, we have neighbors and like, but we would definitely drink and hang out. But it was more like who wants to be at the fancy condo. At that time, he would say things to me like, you know, I know where your sister lives, right? Just, oh. oh, yeah. You know, I know where she lives, right? Okay. That's interesting. And so it's kind of like if, if you try to direct or redirect this relationship, I might come by and pay your sister a little visit. Exactly. And he would say okay. comments like that pretty frequently if he could sense, like if I was in a, in the car with him and my mind was wandering, he's like, oh, what are you thinking about? And I'd just, and I'd be thinking about jumping. I'd be thinking if I just jumped out of this car right now and I rolled out and I just died, would that be better? Like I'd be thinking crazy things. And he would go, are you thinking about your sister? And I'd be like, no, why? And he goes, eh. Eh, I, I know where she lives, you know. And then he would just kind of, and he would just drop things. So why I stayed mm -hmm. was I started to feel like it's better that I put up with this than him hurt my sister or my friends, like really mm. hurt someone. Because now I know what he's capable of. And they don't right. know, but I know. And so I thought it's better for me to take all of this and just take it from him rather than risking me getting a phone call from my parents that my older sister's been murdered, you know? Right, right. I, I can't do that to my family or that he would hurt my, my best friend Lane and her older brother's one of my best friends. What, how would I explain to them your sister's dead or injured because of this, because of me? So... I just took it upon myself to just stay, to keep everyone safe. But when you're in, okay, I totally understand yeah. that. It makes perfect sense. I mean, it's crazy thinking. And when you're in it, it's hard to explain yes. to people. At the time, you're not thinking clearly anyway. I've been so beaten down. Well, you're down. in a crazy world. So yeah. therefore, it, the thinking within the crazy world has to be a little bit crazy. So mm -hmm. gravity isn't pulling the same way. And it's weird. It's like living on another planet, yeah. which is planet J. But yeah. when you at that time thought of him, Mm -hmm. Like away from the scary stuff and the racing car and getting thrown through the air, things like that. But when you just thought of him, you wake up in the morning, you think of him. Let's say someone in what we might call a healthy relationship might think, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing him or, or gee, I, there's so many things about that person I love. What are you thinking when you think about him? Because you're going to be seeing him probably sooner or later that day. What is your general... What's his aura giving off? Like, what is he? How do you distill him? I would always think about it like, I hope today is going to be a good day. Like, I would think, when I would imagine him, I would think, I hope today is a good day. Like, I hope he's in a good mood. I hope he's having a good day. I hope he's not going to hurt me or say something terrible or do something scary to me. I hope today will be a good day. And that usually just meant nothing bad happening, just semi-normal. Um, mm -hmm. And 
and I never, and I would dread it. I would start, it got to a point where I was dreading because he started to, again, he started almost kind of seeing other girls, weirdly enough, in a weird way. And he would use that as a thread as well. Like, oh, if you don't want to hang out with me, I've got other people, other girls I can go see. And at that point, I'm thinking, what are you talking about? You're with me all the time. Did it ever occur to you when you heard things like that to think, this could be my chance to get out of this thing? You know, funny enough, yeah. And I remember once or twice being like, well, fine, go be with the other girls. And I was like, like how bad is that? Yeah. Wait like, a minute, you're going to leave me and leave me alone? Huh. Yeah. And I would actually think like, oh, yeah. And I would say things like, okay, well, fine, you go be with the other girl, then that's great. And he goes like, oh, and he would almost be like, well, that was a test. Like, he'd be like, oh, I see. So, okay. He goes, so you, you don't care? Is that it? You don't care about me? Like, and in reality, he probably really wasn't necessarily going to see other girls. He could have been. I don't know. But I think it it's was- just testing you. It was he's, testing he's probing. Me. Yeah. And he right. would do all these kind of manipulations and tests of my thinking and what I was, and he would turn my words against me and- Really, anything I said, he could find a way to poke a hole in it or make me untrustworthy. And and so uh, this goes into another situation where down the road, he wanted to go back to Niagara Falls again because we had such a good time with my friends. And he wanted to take this one guy he knew in his group of friends. At least he had a really good time. At go least ahead. he had a really good time. And my friends were like, we're not going. And I did not want to go yeah. with these guys. But I was like- sure. With him, I just don't have a choice. I have to go. So mm-hmm. we went and- So it's just the two of you then? It was me, him, his friend that was my childhood friend, and this other guy. Okay. I really just did not want to go, but I was the only one with a car. And he was like, you're my girlfriend. You have to go. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to go. He's like, no, you have to go. And it was, we were at that point. Of the, and, and I knew what that meant. I was like, okay, well- I'm going. That's just how this is going to work. So I remember going and I was a pretty heavy partier, so I could hold my drink. But me and his friend were sharing this really small bottle of raspberry flavored vodka or something. Very small bottle. And the next thing I know, I wake up, Bill, and it's the next day. Oh, you blacked out. And I had blacked out and I'm laying in the bed with his childhood best friend, clothes fully on. We have no blankets on or anything. It was the weirdest thing. Clinging to each other. And both of us were the most hungover we had ever been. I remember us throwing up all this stuff. And to this day, I'm pretty sure that Jay drugged us. And and I, I think so too. And I think that either him and this other guy did stuff to me. Um, or who knows what. And part of the reason I think he drugged the two of us was because that was my childhood friend. So his friend would have no memories of what happened. And he might've been sympathetic to you somehow. And I think even though his friend took part in a lot of bad things, I think, or he just drugged the bottle and just was like, whatever, if my friend gets sick, I don't care. So I'm pretty sure that he like drugged me and who knows what he had had done to me. I have no clue. I have no memory. And I did not drink enough to be like that. Not even kind of, not even close to that at all. Like lost mm-hmm. time, we're talking, I don't know, 10, 12 hours out. I was going to say, I was going to guess 12 hours later. Here yeah. you are. And the next day I was sick all day. So was his friend. I was sick for like 48 hours after that. And I'll never ah, forget yeah. him saying, you clung to my friend. You were with him in the bed all night. Like, what's wrong with you? Like putting all this guilt on me and him just being like, 
why would you even want to be with me? Look at what you did to me. You embarrassed me in front of my other friend. And I hadn't thought clearly yet about the fact that I had probably been given the date rape drug. Mm. Hadn't even crossed my mind at that point because I'm still being so manipulated by him. And so then he was like, I really need you to commit to me. And like, we're already so deep in this. This is probably seven, eight months into this relationship. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I need to know that you're really committed to me. I can't believe you did that. I mean, he turned the whole thing on me. By the end of it, I'm crying, begging him to forgive me. You know, looking back now, I'm like, yeah, looking back now, I'm like, it's pretty clear he drugged you. And who knows what he and his friend did to you. But at the time, I'm like begging him, like, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. And but the final straw was because these things always continued. But I was starting to get to a point in this relationship where I was kind of getting to the done point, despite how scared I was of him. I was reaching. I think I'm done. I had moved into a new house with new roommates and this one roommate of mine, my friend Amber, and we had moved into this new house and it had a second story balcony and we were all there and he came over and for no reason, he picked her up and held her over the balcony by her feet. Oh my God. I mean, imagine just a group of girls. It was me, Amber, I think one other girl just hanging out and talking. And out of nowhere, just picks Amber up and just drops her over the railing and is holding her by her feet. Oh. And she is screaming for her life. He's like bouncing her like like a fish on a line. That's the only way I can describe it. She's screaming. Oh. I'm hitting him. Everyone's hitting him. The other girl's saying, let her up, let her up. What are you doing? Get her up. And nobody had really seen him do anything crazy violent before. And it was like, at that point, he had become so used to doing whatever he wanted to me. It was almost like it didn't matter anymore. My friends were now an extension of me, so I'll do to them what I will. And when he did that, I said, we're done. I, that he, we got him to bring her back up. He was laughing hysterically. He's like, it was just a joke. It's geez, calm down. Amber was so upset. Yeah. And Mm. I said, well, at this point, he obviously is willing to kill my friends or my sister or anybody. It doesn't matter if I stay or go. Look what he's doing when I'm right here. It's done. Mm-hmm. That's when I decided to break up with him, and that's when things got worse, unfortunately. So, yeah, yeah. You didn't break up the way a domestic violence agency would coach you to. No. So how did you do it? What did that scene look like, the breakup? I actually remember I just said to him, we're done. And he was okay. Now, is this the the, the Amber Night, or is this? This is, is like probably the next day. Like I, we were approaching at this point my twenty first. And, and where birthday. were you when you said this? I think where, I called him over the phone. I didn't even want to see him. I called him over okay. the phone. Oh, that's a good idea to do it over the phone. I was like, I don't want to be with him, and I was just Amber was so when I saw him do something like that to someone else that was close. To, I thought he's capable of anything, but whether I'm here or not, he's gonna do it. So. <laughs> And so I called him up and I basically just said, we're done. And he's like, what do you mean we're done? We're not done. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, we're fine. I said, no, 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 we're we're completely over. I don't want to see you anymore. We're done. And it was the week of my 21st birthday. I'll never forget it. And I thought, I'm going to be 21 and I'm moving on with my life. If he's going to do something crazy, let him. I don't care. I'm done. And so Mm -hmm. my roommates were all slapping me on the back. My other two friends who had been heavily involved in his friend group, at this point, they had had so much emotional and physical and crazy abuse from these group of individuals. They were more than happy to to be like, way to go. Get Lindsay, Mm -hmm. we want nothing to do with these people either. His best friend would do weird stuff like sleep with one of my friends. 
and then not tell her and then sleep with the other friend. And they would do these weird emotional abusive things to even my friends. It was terrible. Thankfully, at that point, my friends, those are the friends that were originally impressed with him, are now like, we need out of this group and you need out of away mm-hmm. from him. And they still mm-hmm. don't know what's happened to me. I have not disclosed how bad it's gotten. But so it's officially going to be my birthday. That's my birthday week. We're having a house party. It wasn't on my birthday or necessarily for my birthday, but we decided to invite a group of high school friends to come to the house. The girl that was super popular in high school that I defended was one of my roommates at this point. And my old high school boyfriend, Rob, he is coming to the party, as well as a bunch of football playing guys and what have you. And so I guess because I spoke to Rob about it and I didn't remember this so much, but it makes sense because it ended up happening to me that night. I probably just don't have the best memory of that evening. But Jay showed up at the party. And when Rob told me this, I went, oh, I forgot about that. Jay shows up when, mind you, we're broken up. He's not invited. He shows up with his friend Mm. and he is furious. And I remembered thinking, just be nice and get him out of the house, you know? Just be nice, get him out of the house. So I introduced him to everyone. And Rob told me later that the way Jay shook his hand was the hardest, weirdest handshake of his life. He goes, as a guy, you shake a guy's hand with a little, hey, how you doing? He's like, but this was like a death squeeze, like a crazy. Bones were about to break. Bones were about to break. It was like, I am squeezing. He squeezed my hand so hard. So then I just very, I remember kind of under my breath, just telling him, I just need you to go. We're not together anymore. You weren't invited. I don't want you here. I just need you to go. And I remember him kind of being like, are you sure? And I was like, I am sure. Now, at some point, someone says to me, Lindsay, somebody smashed all your artwork upstairs. He had come back in the house at some point. And gone upstairs and broke, because I was an art student, and smashed a bunch of my artwork to just pieces. Um, while now, we, is this like a canvas on canvas, wooden canvases, canvas stretchers kind of thing? Yep. And then like sculptures I had. He like broke apart oh. a sculpture. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And I was, and I remembered thinking though, okay, that's, if that's what he's going to do, that's the worst of it. Break it all. I don't care. It's fine. It's not a human. It's so. not not your arm yeah it's not me it's not a human if he snuck back in the house while we were all partying because the way the house was it was like a duplex the kitchen and the living room and two of the bedrooms were upstairs and that's where my artwork was and then on the downstairs floor where my bedroom was there was a garage attached and we would always party in the garage so most of us had been in there and at some point he had during that party gone up there and smashed that stuff So anyways, Rob remembers that he came down to kind of talk to me and I was hanging out in the garage. We were playing beer pong, just hanging out. And he said I was like squatting in the garage with my back against the garage door. And out of nowhere, the garage door opens. Jay comes in, picks me up by my shirt off the ground, slams me against the garage door. And then I remember him punching me so hard. I, I... Woke up maybe 15 minutes later. So Punch you in the head? In the head, yeah. So he... In the face. In, in the, the face. face. And I remember just waking up laying on the floor. Meanwhile, so what happened was he obviously left after smashing my art and being told, you're not welcome here. And then I thought, that's it for the night. Didn't hear anything else. He came back to the house, had his car parked in a way to get ready to leave, left it running with his best... Getaway car. Getaway car with his best mm-hmm. friend inside. 
came into the party without saying a word, saw me, picked me up. I remember see I remember what it felt like seeing him come through the door, just being like, oh God. And I remembered thinking he's not, he doesn't want to break the art. He wants to break me. Like, oh God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then when I woke up, I found out that he made a huge mistake because Rob had been a wrestler in high school. John, who was in there, was a football player. Oh. And Rob said when he picked me up, the way he threw me against the garage door and hit me, Rob's like, that's something a man does to a man, like in a fight. You don't just out of nowhere pick up a girl and just do what I saw done to you. He's like, you fell like a ragdoll, Lindsay. Like you got picked up so hard and high and hit so hard. You literally collapsed on the floor. Rob and his friend John looked at each other and said, it's on. And they chased him out of the house. A huge fight breaks out. Jay's friend, the guy who had been my childhood friend, got out of the car and throws a bottle at Rob, busts open Rob's head. Rob is bleeding everywhere. Oh, oh God. And Rob ends up beating the tar out of Jay until Jay finally says, I've had enough. And Rob's like, you had enough? And Jay's like, yeah, I had enough. Uh, Jay's friend, after throwing the bottle and hitting Rob, could have seriously injured him. He ran off like a chicken. Mm. And other friends of mine who were at the party guys chased him, tried to catch him. And that night, I just remember waking up that we had had citronella candles to keep mosquitoes out of the garage because we leave it slightly cracked. And I remember the candle wax was all over the floor, all over me. Just I was covered in wax. I was like half in the door, half on the floor. I wake up. I remember being like, what the? And I just remember like all my because I obviously probably had a concussion. So I remember just being like, what is going on? I hear all this crying. I look out at my driveway. I see my two friends in the driveway crying, holding each other. And there is blood everywhere. Like my whole driveway Mm. is just splashed in blood. And the first thing I thought was, well, I'm going to have to tell everybody what's going on. (laughs) Like I was like, Mm. I guess I'm going to have to be honest. This isn't just a breakup and pretend and deal with it on your own. Like, Yeah, isn't one bad evening. Yeah, this is... I'm going to have to be honest. So Mm -hmm. the sheriff shows up and he examines me and he gets all this information about what happened. And, you know, he's like, okay, like he kind of told my friends because I remember I kept drinking and the cop showed up and I wasn't quite 21 yet. It was like in a day. And I said, I'm sorry, officer, I'm going to keep drinking. He's like, okay, well, you probably have a concussion. Somebody's got to stay up with you and make sure you're okay. We can't just have you. We need to make sure you're okay for a few hours. Like I would cut back on the booze and I was like, I don't care. I'm doing it. He's like, whatever. Okay. But just, I need you. I understand. And I had this huge, I remember a giant like egg on my head from where he hit me. And so my good friend, Adam at the time, he was coming to the party. He hadn't seen anybody in like a year because he had been going to Ohio state. He showed up at the point where the fight was over. Cops were on their way. And he said to everybody, look, if you're under 21, get out of here. Cops are coming. I'll stay with Lindsay. Mm. So Adam, my good buddy, he stays. He talks with the cop. He talks with, he sits with me the whole night. Literally stayed with me till I went to sleep that night. And that, who, that ends up being my future husband, by the way. Oh, how about that? Yeah, so that ends up being my husband. And the next day... And this, to me, is the scariest part, Bill. So for anybody listening, this is the part well, there, that- Well, there have been so many scary parts, it's hard to imagine this is the <laughs> scariest part. But go ahead, please. I think it's the scariest for me because, you know, you know something's bad. You know what you've experienced is bad. You know that you allowed these things to happen. And that's the other thing people have to understand. 
part of the reason we don't leave is the shame and the guilt because you've mm -hmm. let this happen mm -hmm. to you and you are so embarrassed to tell your mom and your dad honestly you're too embarrassed to tell your friends and your sister what were you thinking about yeah, yeah. and just you don't want to have their image of you sullied, dirtied. You don't want them to look at you any differently. You want them to see you mm -hmm. how they've always seen you. And you just, right. and you don't want to hurt them either. So like you have all this weird shame and guilt and the yeah. people that- It looks like you've had a whole year of, of bad decisions. A whole year of bad decisions, really bad decisions. And it's like- I mean, it's really irreparable. Yeah. And you just think, oh man, like, but you know, the bill always comes due. So- but this moment was the moment I knew, pardon my language, but I knew I was fucked. I, I went, mm -hmm. You're this is not good. I get a call from that same cop from the night before. Mm -hmm. And he says, I need to talk to you in person. I'm coming to your house. And I thought, well, that seems not normal, but okay. And I remember him showing up. He goes, how's your head? I said, yes, the bump's still there. And he's like, yeah, it's a big one. He goes, um, mm. he goes what do you know about this guy? And I thought... That is a odd question. And I said, well, I mean, I've been dating him for about, you know, a year-ish. I mean, you can tell in that question, he knows more than he exactly. thinks you know. And I thought, and that gives me the chills now. Okay. What do you know about this guy? And I thought, uh, I don't know. We've been dating. He goes, no, 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 no. What do you know about him? And I said, I don't. Mm. And he goes, listen. He goes, uh, I had a friend look into him for me. Turned out he had some records that technically, this is what the cop told me, he goes, technically they were sealed. I'm not supposed to know this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Oh. He goes, I, he whoa. said, I, whoa, he whoa, goes, whoa. I uh, had my friend go look. And turns out he had a record. And when I saw that, but it was sealed, he said, I knew it would had to be bad. And he goes, so I had a buddy of mine do me a favor. And I found out what he's done. And he goes, I need you to know that he knocked out almost all of his high school girlfriend's teeth. Oh. He's, he said not just one or two. He said, like, almost all of her teeth. He had knocked, knocked, out, knocked her out her teeth. teeth. And he goes, oh, and God. I'm not going to go into the rest of it, but this guy has a record of this behavior that's beyond bad. And he, and he said, oh. uh, and a lot of people have helped to cover it up for him. And he goes, and I need you to understand. He goes, I need you to hear me. This is how girls like you end up murdered. He mm. said, we are dealing with someone who will kill you. And I remember hearing the thing about his girlfriend's teeth getting knocked out. Having a cop say that to you with the straightest face. Yes. He's channeling the truth. And I thought, I'm in real trouble. And he said, and I said, okay, should I get a restraining order? He goes, actually, I'm going to tell you not to. And I said, what? He goes, in this particular case and what I know about him, we do not engage with him. He goes, I know that other people would tell you to, but in this particular, so whatever he read, he's like, in this case, do not get a restraining order. Yeah. I, I have an opinion about restraining orders and I look at them like lighting the fuse. That's what he said. He goes, yeah. that could only provoke him more. You serve that paper and the guy's like, oh, so she's kind of like turning me in, huh? Mm -hmm. How about that? And he said- from now on, he said, you are never to be alone. He goes, not in your house, not in your car, not on the way to your classes. He goes, I need you to understand that you need a chaperone to go to the grocery store. Wherever you go, you should never be alone again. 
And he said, this is my personal phone number. He goes, here's my, my card. And then here's my actual personal phone number. Right. You see him, you call me. He said, do not call just the cops. You call me directly. Okay. And he just kind of stood there and he's like, I just need to know that you hear me. Mm. And I said, I hear you. Now, looking back, somebody that this cop knew had something happen to them in this sort of domestic violence circumstance, because there's no way in my mind a cop would have somebody look at somebody's closed records and, and be the way he was being without personal experience. Or as a cop, he must have seen it a lot. Something told me this guy really has has experience and he knows and he cares like i knew he cared more than i could say so i thought he took a personal a very personal interest in you and he even said stuff you need to make sure your windows in your house are locked every night you need to make sure that your garage is shut that the door to the garage is shut he i remember him like going through my bedroom he's like that window back there because i had a window on the first floor needs to be shut you need to lock your bedroom door when you sleep in it and stuff like he was like you need to take every precaution you can think of with this individual. Mm-hmm. When this happened, my roommate, because I couldn't tell my parents, I could not tell them what happened, but I knew I had to. So I had to have my one friend call my mom and my dad and say, there's been an incident and my parents lost it, lost their minds, absolutely lost it. But again, like I said about my family mm-hmm. dynamic, they didn't get on a plane. They didn't come. They didn't make me leave. It was like they never talked about it again. So in their case, they lost it. What does that mean? They lost it, went into tears. and My mom was crying. My dad started smashing a chair in their house, I guess. Like, I wasn't on the phone. I just yeah, sat there yeah. holding okay. my friend's I just hand wanted to kind of see she talked to my what parents. that might look like. Like, emotionally, my dad lost it and just smashed a chair in their house to smithereens. Okay. My mom was okay. crying. And then my friend said, look, the cops are involved. You know, it's, it's a thing, you know, but Lindsay's going to be okay and that sort of thing. And then for, I don't know. 12 years, my parents never, we never talked about it again. Like you never, did you ever talk with them once ever? I eventually brought it up with my, my parents or tried to, but I, again, my family's come a long way and we communicate a lot better now, but for a long time, it's like, they just didn't want to talk about bad Mm. things. Like they just, if it was emotionally too much, it was like, let's not go there. So I just knew that they weren't in a place to want to deal with this or talk Mm. about this. And because for me, the way I am, if something happens to my little niece, I mean, I'm, you're yep. leaving. Yeah. Like we're figuring, I mean, oh, I'm I moving in. Thing. Like I'm sleeping outside your bedroom door with a shotgun. You have no idea what you're in for, kid, but I do. And I'm helping. But my parents were just, I think they heard it. They freaked out. And then that was it. Not another word was said. So I kind of felt like, okay, kid, you're on your own. Nobody's got you from that perspective. They lived all the way down in Florida anyway. So, okay, it's going to be all right. Fast forward, I go to school. This is shortly after. I think I took off like a couple of days and just stayed home and just kind of tried to mentally get myself Mm -hmm. together. And I'm walking into my classroom and he's sitting outside my classroom on the ground waiting for me. Oh. Yeah. And I thought, okay, think about what the cops said. People are around. It's fine. But also don't aggravate him. So I saw that he looked incredibly remorseful. He was like crying and everything. And I said to him, look, you need to change your life. You have an opportunity to become a completely different person and never do this to anyone again. You can go to counseling. You can get help. 
you could fall in love someday and have a good life with somebody, but you have to get help for all these issues. And I think I remember saying to him, I know that your upbringing was not the best. You won't talk about it, but I can tell you need to help yourself. You need to go after your dreams, all these things you say you want to do with your life. You need to do them, but it won't be with me and it can't Mm -hmm. be with Mm -hmm. me. And he started bawling his eyes out, but I want you back and I love you so much. Don't you understand how much I need you, how much I love you? I just want to be with you. Like, I don't care about anything else. And I'm like, you need to care about everything Mm -hmm. else and Mm -hmm. not me. Mm -hmm. That's the point. You need to care about your future and what you want to do and all these dreams and goals you have. You need to care about that. And he was just like, no. And then the last thing he said was, won't you please drop the charges? Because the cop had filed everything. And this was going, we were going to have to, I was going to have to Mm -hmm. go to court. And he said, won't you drop the charges, please? I won't do it again. Just drop the charges. And I said, I'm going to court. This happened. Mm -hmm. Actions have consequences. It is what it is. But I want you to be okay. And I want you to get help. And I want you to have a good life. And he said, you know, and eventually I said, I have to go into class. So fast forward, I'm in that exact classroom probably later that week, just painting. And the way that an art studio school, like the way my classroom is set up, it's like a giant Mm -hmm. room. So it's like a big open space. And on days where you're not necessarily like critiquing or working Mm -hmm. with your teacher, you're just working on your project alone. And everybody kind of has their designated, like not nobody, you know, it's just unsaid, but we have (laughs) our spots. Yeah, that's right. And so I was in my spot and I had on my headphones because some people would like hang out and talk and like be with a friend or whatever. And I usually always listen to music when Mm -hmm. I was painting. So I'm sitting on my little stool painting and I just feel two arms come up under my arms and across my chest like in an Mm. x and squeeze and pull me off my Mm. seat and i remember like losing the air in my chest i remember like my headphones getting ripped off i remember the chair falling and i'm being dragged backwards out the classroom And as I'm being dragged, like it's happening so fast, like it feels like it's in slow motion, but in reality, it is happening so quickly. And as I'm leaving, I'm like looking around kind of like, doesn't anybody see what's Mm -hmm. happening? And nobody sees. Not one person in that room hears or sees what's happening because it's a big room. Again, music's going on. People have their headphones in. Like nobody sees me. I get dragged out of the classroom through the front doors and he is squeezing me so hard. I mean, to this day, I don't know if I couldn't scream because I was scared or I actually physically could not scream because he was squeezing my chest so hard. I remember feeling like my ribs were on the verge Mm. of breaking. I remember I reached up to try to like pull his hands off of me and he squeezed Mm. even harder. I thought he's going to break my ribs or my collarbone. Like his fingers were digging into like my throat and collarbone. And I would try to pull his hands off of me and I couldn't. We go busting out the front doors of my college art building and we, he drags me on the concrete. So he's holding me like with my back to him and my feet in front and he's walking Mm -hmm. backwards really fast. And we get outside and I'm thinking, surely someone will see this and help me. And I look around and there is no one. And I, I remember it hit me, Bill. He planned this. I went, oh my God, and the cop's voice saying, never be alone. And I thought, 
he picked a time of day when everyone's in mm. class and no one's out here right now. Because when people are moving between classes, it's super sure. busy or random time. He he must have literally picked a time and said, I know right where uh -huh. she paints. I know what when day, no one's around, time? more or yes. less. And I'm going in and I'm getting her. Yes. He's dragging me. And I remember thinking, if we make it to wherever, because at this point he had finally gotten his own car. He had a truck. If he gets me to his car, he's going to murder me. I just knew if we make it to a car, mm -hmm. I'm dead. My life is over. And I kept thinking, do something, scream, do anything. I could not move. And to this day, I don't know if I was just so scared or he was squeezing me so hard. I don't know. But I could not mm -hmm. do anything. A couple of times I remember trying to like make my body heavier or like put my feet in weird ways. But he was so strong. Like he would just pick me up like it was yes. nothing. We hit the grass and I knew right across from this grass lawn was a parking lot and the way he was moving. I'm like, his truck's there. And as he's dragging me, all of a sudden I hear, put her down, put her down. And I look and there's my teacher. And I thought, thank you, God. Oh my God. And instantly he let go of me. I hit the ground so hard. He takes off running. My teacher comes to my side. And I remember my teacher just looking at me and saying, he was going to kill you, wasn't he? Mm, mm. And I said, yes, I think he Jeez, was. That's horrible. And my, yeah. And my teacher said, I'm calling campus security. Come, come with me. And he helped me up and I was just shaking and crying and security showed up. They had to file another report. So now I have a case going with the city of Kent and now the campus police are involved. And then from what I understand, the campus police and the city police communicated Good. and said, all right, told him you can't be within, school said, you can't be within 200 yards or something mm -hmm. of her mm -hmm. at all. So the school had talked to him. I remember his name and what some of what had happened was put in the school paper. When you committed some sort of crime on campus, they would put your name in the section and his name was in the section and kind of in very little words disclose that. Then the campus police said, listen, and I didn't own a cell phone. Cell phones were around, but not you know, as prevalent as they are now. And they were like, you need to get a cell phone. I remember telling my parents you need a cell phone. They're like, you don't need a cell phone. I was like, okay. <laughs> like, and I didn't want to tell them like, well, things are getting worse, mom and dad, I need a cell phone. But I was like, okay, okay. And they said, okay, well, if you don't have one, here's the deal. If he shows up, you got to find someone who has one. You got to call us immediately. They reinforced never be alone, this whole thing. I'm sitting in class, I don't know, next week. Thought you were, you're safe. And I'm thinking, okay, we got a system here. I look and he is pacing back and forth outside my classroom door, just back. This and is forth. another instance. And I'm, this is after everything else. In another classroom. Yep. This is another so instance. He's, he's waiting for you. He's waiting for me. And I'm watching the time ticking on the clock thinking, at what point do I tell my teacher that someone's here to hurt me? Like, what do I do? Yeah. There's a tiger roaming outside waiting just for me. And the teacher kind of keeps glancing because the door was open at this person. Like every now and then I'd see her like, look. So finally I raised my hand and she said, yes, Lindsay, what can I do? And I said, and she's looking at me all weird. And I'm like, and she leans in and I whisper, you see that person that keeps walking around out there? And she's like, yes. I'm like, he's not supposed to be within 200 yards or whatever it was of me. I said, um, but I need you to call campus security. He's not supposed to mm. be here. And she took one look at me and looked at him. She got up. I remember she shut the door and she pulled out her cell phone and called. And then 
the cops literally, he wouldn't leave. They, he would not leave. He was screaming for me in the hallway. And they had to basically, like, cuff him and drag oh, him out of goodness. school. And you could hear him all the way down the hallway. And it was so embarrassing. The whole classroom's looking at me. And I'm just like, <sighs> you know. And then he proceeds, you know, he won't stop driving up and down my street. Driving up and down my street. You know, and it was just weird stuff. Like, there were times I knew that he was outside my bedroom window. I just knew he was out there. It was just so creepy to just be like, because there's times where you're like, oh, maybe someone's out there in life. This was a situation where sometimes I could actually feel, I think he's standing mm -hmm. out there and I think he's watching me and I think he's here. Or just like, I'd have these feelings. I had to be escorted everywhere. My roommates had to figure out scheduling. Adam then became my boyfriend. He would help too. Like, Literally, I had to have people walk me to and from classes. I wouldn't leave buildings until someone showed up. And Amber would go around every night, make sure everyone's doors were locked, the front doors were locked, that the windows were locked. If I had to go take my own car or something, like I remember I would scan the whole parking lot. I remember getting down on my knees and looking under my car to be like, is he under uh, there? Like, because he could uh, grab me, you know, just like really on alert sure. like sure, beyond all so the court date came and all i had to do was testify and he was going to jail not for a tremendous amount of time but he was going to go and so i had all my paperwork and stuff and i didn't have to do anything particularly like literally i remember the cops had spoke with me i think like the city prosecutor somebody at somebody point called me and spoke with me and said look it's pretty clear cut we had so many witnesses this is not he said, she said, this is just you show up, be honest with the judge, tell your story. This guy is going to do some time and it'll buy you some time on campus because then for a while you won't have what, to see Do you him. have a sense of how long that would be, the time? I think they said it was two and a half years they could get him to oh, be put away. I was like thought you were going to say a lot years. less than that. Okay. Yeah, it was like quite a long, and I remembered thinking that's a long time. But I also wondered if it had something to do with other incidences as the, what the cop had priors. spoke to besides this stuff. Yeah, maybe he had more priors and this was like the third yes. strike yeah, sort of thing. So I was thinking, okay, they're pushing for that much time. There's probably more there. And they're like, finally, we can put this guy away. So I show up for my court date and I'm waiting with my friends. Like I got on my outfit. We all go in. We're ready to go. And they say, you missed it. And I say, what are you talking about? I missed it. I have my paperwork. I'm here. They said, he got his lawyers got it changed. It was two weeks ago. Oh. And I said, what? And I said, I never got anything. And they said, well, everything was mailed to you. And I said, I never got anything or I would have been here. They said, well, he only got two, I think it was 200 hours of community service or like 180 hours of community service and a $250 fine. I go home. I am losing it, Bill. I call my cop guy and he says, son of a bitch. He was so livid. I remember he said, son of a bitch. He goes, have you seen him on your street? Does he drive on your, is he on your street? I know you've called me a bunch about it. You see him on your street. I said, yes. He said, I guarantee you his lawyer instructed him to go in your mailbox. Oh. Take that mail. <laughs> How about Get that? that? That they changed oh. it, that his lawyer had it changed. He goes, because the way this kid's background has been covered up, he has gotten some good lawyers. He goes, I bet they told him a sneaky oh. trick. Let's change the date on her because all she has to do I mean, is testify. All he has to do is camp out for the mailman. 
and uh, just go in yep. and pull it out of there and leave everything else and down the street. How about that? That is super insidious. Wow. And that's probably what exactly oh. what happened. And so he got a $250 fine. I think it was like 180 or 200 hours of community service. And that was oh. it. And I thought I had an opportunity to put something solid on his record. He probably wouldn't get two and a half years, but even if it was six months in jail, like something that he could not have erased from his history mm. here. And now it's down to this and he did it. He stole my mail and he did it. And I could oh. not believe it. The judge in his case, I guess, the sheriff was nice enough to tell me, said, you are so lucky she isn't here. Because if this girl had showed up, what I would be putting you putting on you would be an enormous penalty. But because she is not here to testify and she was supposed to be, oh, there's nothing I can wow. do about that. Yes. So to fast forward, uh. many years later, Facebook comes out. And I was really reluctant to get Facebook at first because I didn't want him to know where I was or anything. So I got Facebook and then I saw him and then anybody he was friends with that I was friends with or went to Kent State, I wrote everyone a message because I and then I blocked him. But I made like a list of people and I said, look, if, if this if Jay ever asks you about me or where I'm living or who I where I am or whatever. Just know that it's not a good reason why he's asking. I don't want to go into detail, but please just never tell him any information about me. Mm. And everybody said the same thing. Sure thing, sure thing. Except for one person. This person growing up with me in elementary school, we had the same last name, but we weren't related. And we looked a bit alike, actually. Mm -hmm. Funny enough. And so since I was a kid, we always sat next to each other in school for the longest time because our names were the same last names. And we looked a bit alike. And often teachers thought we were twins or sisters or things. And she had been a childhood friend of mine, kind of. When I wrote her on Facebook, she goes, Lindsay, I cannot believe that you just wrote me this message. She goes, I have to tell you something. And I said, okay, what? She said, so I'm in Kent, going to Kent. And we do roll call in the class. The teacher calls out everyone's name. You raise your hand. You know, it's the starting of this new class. I say my name, put up my hand. Class ends. And this good looking guy comes walking up to me because he heard my last name because we had the same last name. Yes. And he goes, hey, I'm Jay. Nice to meet you. And, and he is just wanting to see me and wanting to date me, and wanting to be with me. And I'm thinking, this is great, this good-looking, muscular guy. Oh, great. She goes, until he starts calling me by your name, and he's dating me, and I realize he's pretending that I am you. Oh. Uh, oh. And she said, and I uh, knew I was in big trouble. She goes, and let's- made for TV story, isn't it? I know. And she said, and I knew at that point I had to back out of this relationship quickly and fast. And I had never been so scared. She goes, I, he literally was pretending I was you. And for a while, basically she had to let him as she backtracked, he stopped calling her by her first name and was now fully calling her my name. And, and when I heard that, I thought, man, so yeah, that's that's basically the whole of the story. So, mm -hmm. 
Yeah. It's amazing. It, it really, you know, I, I, um, there are a lot of things that come along in life where you say, I don't think a skilled writer could make up a better story in terms of the twists and yeah. turns yeah, I know. and the horribleness and the determined insidious attitude of this guy to just keep coming back again and again and again with no remorse, no apologies, no conscience, no feelings of guilt, just keep bringing the worst evil behavior over and over. And, you know, and so I've always kind of kept tabs on him just to know where he's at, what he's doing. It's been so long. It's been so long, but still, mm -hmm. it's like a thing you do is you just want to know where he's at, what he's up to. I mean, how long ago is it now? I'm, I'm guessing somewhere in the vicinity of 17 or a little bit more yeah, years. About that, about that. Yep. And, um, would it be 2005 and, you were done with it? Probably like 2003-ish. Let's see. 2001, no, more like the end of 2002 would be around like when this was, the stalking was going on more or less. Okay. By that point, I kept tabs on where he's at just for my own safety. I have found out since then. I have seen he has assault charges. He has a sexual assault charge now. He's been married and divorced. God knows what he's done to her. And it's and it's crazy too. Like I remember when this happened, there was someone else I knew I went to high school with and I was at a party. And this is during when he was stalking me. And you know, when you're being stalked, it's a weird thing because you just you just see him. Like he would just be in a parking lot, just in his truck. There's nothing you can do about that and he knows that, not really. And you would just always have this fear of like at any point, he's just letting me know he knows where I am. He's just letting me know he knows mm -hmm. where I am or being on mm -hmm. my street. He would park at the end of our street sometimes and we would pull home and there he would be just sitting there and then he would just speed off. And you just always have this feeling of just like at any time something bad, really bad could happen to me. And my roommates had now become also a sense of being stalked because now they're my counterpart, my protectors. And what are they really going to do? Let's be honest. Mm. I mean, if he really lost it and who knows, used a weapon or something like what are they going to do? But it was just the idea of having someone with you. Yes. And so they had a lot of anger and a lot of fear. I mean, they had to change their lives, some of them, to an extent for me. I remember being at a party and this girl I went to high school with was there. And she was friends with him. And so she says to me, um, you, you have said so many horrible things about him that aren't true. And you need to lay off. And like, he's a great person. And, and I looked at her and I said, do you know what he's done to me? I said, I said, her name was um, Anna. Anna, do you have any clue what he has done to me and is currently doing to me? She goes, he said you'd say something like that. And I said, oh. I said, not surprising. And I said to her, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. Be very, very careful of him. Do not get too close to him. Do not let him in. I don't care if you want to believe me or not, but I'm warning you, woman to woman, stay away from him. And she basically said, screw you. And I said, say whatever you want to say to me, say it. But I am, I am not going to stop warning you until you walk mm -hmm. away. And eventually she just mm -hmm. walked away from the conversation because I was so calm. And I didn't raise my voice. I said, I will not fight with you, but I will also not stop saying this to you. And to make matters even worse, the childhood friend of his, who was involved in all of this, involved yes. in that fight that night, Rob, mm -hmm. when he was at the hospital, 
somebody came and saw Rob or spoke to Rob about my case, about what happened, and asked him if he wanted to press charges. And Rob said, I don't want to press charges, but this is what happened. I would gladly test it. Like, whatever you need, I'd say. But I'm not pressing charges, but it is important to know, yes, this did happen. So it was my understanding that Jay's friend, who was my childhood friend, was getting in some sort of trouble as well, because obviously he had hit Rob in the head with the bottle and was involved in this incident. Yes. Well, my childhood friend's family had property next to my family's down in this place. Um, It's kind of like a camping place. And I'm at my cousin's birthday party while I'm being stalked. My uncle says, I need to talk to you, pulls me into a back room and says, we need you to stop causing problems for him because his family does work for us on our property. And we've heard that you've been causing some issues with him and I can't risk losing my relationship with them. So whatever drama you've got going on, you need to stop that. I looked at my uncle and I said, do you know what's going on? And he said, no, but you need to stop. I lost it. I remember my mom was there. My mom started screaming at her brother. You don't know what you're talking about. Do you know what's going on with your niece? Like, oh my God. And I had to leave the party. Just, just blood drained for me. It's going to this level now that my own family members have no clue. Yeah, the ripple effect of this keeps going on and on and on. Keeps going on and on and on. And it was just so shocking to me to think I had to tell certain family members in recent years, you have no idea how bad he is. Like Jay's friend. Jay is too, but his friend, even though he rode Jay's coattails, he took part in so much horrible behavior. The things that the Mm -hmm. two of them did to women, the way that they treated them, the filming without their knowledge, who knows what else. I said, you have no clue. These are bad, bad people. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so... You know, and since then, you know, I, I've had friends go through situations like these and try to be there for them and mentor them and try to get them to do the right thing. And it's hard because I think a lot of times when women go through this stuff, at first they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it from you that that the person that they're with might be bad for them. And then again, you get into that next level of control and shame and getting too deep and, you know, so... I just hope that anyone who hears this, if they're going through anything, A, get out of it as quickly as you can. Don't stay, no matter what they say or do. Just do not stay. Yes. And two, tell somebody. I don't care who you talk to, but talk to somebody, especially somebody with life knowledge. I don't care if it's a family member who's a cop. I don't. If you don't want to talk to your parents or find somebody who's older than you and wiser than you and don't hold back, talk. because they will help you. They will help you figure this out. Yeah. One thing that I tell people is that if you have nobody to turn to, and even if you do, you should call the National Domestic Violence Hotline, which is 800-799-SAFE. Make the call. They don't know you. They don't necessarily want to know you really, but they want to talk with you. That's obviously, you know, it doesn't cost anything to make the call except some time. If you have a friend that's going through something like this, call the 800-799-SAFE. You can talk as long or as short as you want. They're not going to send a SWAT team to somebody's house immediately, you know, unless you ask for it. These are people oftentimes who are who have been victims or are survivors or have someone in their family. I mean, they have a reason they got into that field. Yep. 
And you can tell yeah. as much or as little of your story as you want. I just want some advice. I have a friend that's going through something or I'm going through something. Please talk to me. One of the things we try to tell people is that you do not have to go through this alone. And in your case, Lindsay, you did for a large part of this. Some of your friends got to know some of it, but they didn't get to know everything until until it really got crazy. You know, when your friends are literally being held upside down, uh, about to plummet to their deaths. But so I guess to wrap it up here, yeah. Um, and you've been absolutely amazing and so candid, and you remember this these things that everybody would want to forget. You remember so well, but you have checked off every box that I've ever heard of over my 17 years since we lost Kristen. You had the early grooming going on with all the compliments and all the 24-7 love bombing, which in your case probably felt pretty good in the beginning. It was like a wonderful rain coming down on you and, and his intense attraction to you. And then you start moving into the isolation tactics to split you up from your friends. Or if, if you were going to have friends, they also had to be mutual friends of his. His constant messaging, the domineering behavior, him wanting to know where you're going and telling you when you can and when you cannot go places. Um, also, let's not forget him helping to manicure, I guess you could call it your appearance. Yep from your clothing through your hair length, your hair color, your looks, how much you weighed um, and how often you went to the gym and what you did if if and when you went there. And of course, he decided for you that you would go. Then you move into the violent parts of it more than once, horrible violence, not just a little push or shove at times, but literally punching you in the face and throwing you into garage doors and walls. And then his version of apologizing never really happened. It was more like hoping that you would just kind of get over it and uh, like kind of patting you on the head, stroking you and hoping that we can just kind of like, you know, go back to better days, whether they lasted a a little bit of time or weeks, you know, so your relationship with him was rewards and punishments. And that's really classic domestic violence or dating violence. And dating violence is merely domestic violence with people who are not married. and So you became trapped. It took a small part of forever for you to break free, but you did, and you did it strongly. Even then, he just kept showing up. He's just, uh, he's a nightmare you couldn't awaken from with his stalking behavior. And I'm just so glad you reached out to me in the first place. And I just have such deep admiration for you. And I already felt that way before we spoke today. And now even more so, I mean, I just, uh, I wish that Ohio wasn't so far from Maryland, you know, so, uh, but, you know, you're just amazing. And I would encourage you to write a book about this specifically. I think that, uh, I think there's a book, there's a story there. I really do. And the fact that it would begin by saying this is a true story. Again, you, you can't make this stuff up. It's pretty wild. And, you know, again, I never thought it would happen to me. In people who meet me now, who have heard this story, um, ever since I've released my podcast, people who know me who didn't know this part of my life, people calling me, I had people crying, calling me saying, I cannot believe this happened to you of all people. You're the nicest person I know. Like I, And I said, but I'm talking about it because this could save a life. Like this could, sure it's to some people entertainment, but at the same time, this could save a life, especially when you're young, especially. And so for me, 
I'm just grateful you had me on. I heard your story and I just had to reach out because I thought I could put myself in your daughter's shoes. I don't doubt it. Her age and everything. And I was like, man, I I know what it would be like to be in her shoes. And I'm one of the lucky ones, as that cop said to me, you know, you're lucky. You're a lucky one. And I ended up being lucky through the whole process of it somehow by the grace of God. Unfortunately, he just started pretending he was dating me through someone else. And I think that bought me the time to just keep separating. But um, I lucked out. But I, I just hope other people continue to listen to your amazing podcast. I think it really helps people. I, you know, I told my baby sister about your book. I said, you know, when my niece gets to be a certain age, we're giving her a copy and saying, you need to read this. This is important stuff because I think people, yeah. And because I think people sometimes even as parents think that would never happen to my kid or a friend thing. You just don't know. You just don't No one. You don't know. But what you can do is it's like tools. You can give people these tools, you know, to know the warning signs, to sense the red flags. And if you can give them that, it's at least setting them up for more success in not having these issues, hopefully, or avoiding them if they do come across someone like this. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, at least if you have the opportunity to be exposed to what the warning signs are and you have a sense of of how abusive people move from treating you just great, but isolating you from your real friends or even your family sometimes, and how you can kind of sense that violence could be coming. In some cases, it actually does. And then how these abusers wiggle free. You know, they might give you a convincing apology or they might convince you that you caused it, which is a whole backwards way of doing it too. And then next thing you know, the sun comes out. I just hope, like you said, I hope I can get through a day where he's okay and he's nice and he's not hurting me, you know, emotionally or physically. And that for you is like a great day. For most people, they'd say that's a scary day, but in your case, that was that's a good day because nothing bad happened. And you know, and you, and it's it's interesting because you're like you said that your world becomes their world, so your moral scales and your tolerance for things begins to shift and change, and suddenly things that maybe a year before that you would never put up with or never allow now are part of your everyday yes. life. And yes. you're, and you, you don't even realize it either yes. until you get through the other side and it takes time and therapy to process these things and unload these things and the PTSD and all this stuff. And then when you get through all that, you look back and then you start to forgive yourself and realize, okay, you were living in a space where you thought on a daily basis that that was okay. That doesn't just, don't be full of shame. Just know it took yes. time to get you there. And you, you were selected. I was selected for a reason. I was selected because I think he saw in me someone who was an odd duck, somebody with potential that he could change, somebody who probably didn't have a lot of dating experience. Um, and I think as he learned more of those insecurities and things about me, he knew I was ripe for the picking. Like this one's one I can mold, I can control. She hasn't been with a lot of people. Nobody likes her. She doesn't think she's pretty. She thinks she's ugly. Everything about hers, these are all things I can use to work with her. And, you know, funny enough, I did find out that he kind of had a track record of picking girls exactly my prototype, which was exactly all those things. Yeah. So he had an image in mind and then you popped up and it's like, great. Yep. This is exactly what I've been looking for. So, well, thank you so much for this. It's just nice to share it. And I just really do hope it helps somebody. Yes. We're both together on that. That's definitely... You know, I've dedicated my life to that, and I think you have too. 
I can see it. I can hear it. So look, thank you very much. And I hope we can stay in touch. Uh, me Please. too. And uh, keep me posted on when it comes out. I'll be sure to share it with my listeners. I know everyone wants to hear more about my story in that capacity. So I'm excited to get it out there as well. So told it very well. Thank you. It's hard to listen to, but you did it very well. Oh, thank well, you. Thank you. I want to thank Lindsay Brisbane for coming on the When Dating Hurts podcast. What she said was so full and so important for you to hear. I totally appreciate what she has given us and what you can listen to and share with others you care about. The prevalence of dating violence is just terrifying. One in three women will suffer serious physical harm at the hands of an intimate partner at some point in their lifetimes. That's a lot of people. And it typically happens between the ages of 16 and 24, but can happen to any woman at any age. Please share the When Dating Hurts podcast with those who fit into that group. Learn the warning signs and take good care of yourself. You can find more information on whendatinghurts.com. I encourage you to visit at some point and maybe get somebody you care about to visit also. Thank you very much. Stay safe. The When Dating Hurts book was published in paperback in the middle of 2020, followed soon after by the ebook version. While those two were out there in the world informing about dating violence, in early 2021, I launched the When Dating Hurts podcast. Now in 2022, I'm publishing the When Dating Hurts audiobook. I did the narration myself because this is my family's story. It's also a story that can save one of your family members. Find the When Dating Hurts audiobook on Audible, Amazon, or iTunes. It's the same life-saving information from the print versions, but now in listening form. Do yourself a favor. Do your family a favor. The When Dating Hurts audiobook is available now.